Welcome to the Pocket Coven Podcast, where magic meets mental health. I'm Amber Lenore, a witch and licensed psychotherapist. I'm Callie Little, a sex educator and emotional support witch, and we're the coven in your pocket. Hello and welcome to the Pocket Coven Podcast, where we are, what are we doing, Callie? Bleeding. (laughs) (laughs) You know, on that cycle, uh, I don't know where we're talking about feelings, talking about emotions, water. It's the full moon today. It is. It's a full moon in Aquarius. The second full moon in Aquarius we've had this year which I am told is rare by the podcasters I listen to. Does that, is that like what the age of Aquarius is about? I I don't know. Probably. Maybe. I want to know what that means. I feel like there would be more hippies. Are there not? I mean, good point. (laughs) (laughs) It's the witch renaissance, you know? That's true. Maybe this is the age of Aquarius. I don't know. I have to look it up. I haven't consulted the internets yet. Yeah, there are so many things that we consult the internet for. I, the other day, started looking for like the right witch's almanac to get for 2022 because I started taking, like I took a gardening class and I'm trying to figure out how to work with the seasons more. There's so many witch's almanacs. I want one that's like about spell work and also about like permaculture. I don't know if this exists, but... If any listeners know, please at me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I feel like both of us are growing our witchcraft practices or expanding them lately. Do you mm-hmm. notice that? I mean, yeah. I Isn't being a witch of any kind like a, a process of expansion? It is. It is. Yeah. I mean, and today we, you know, spent some time with our beloved coven mate, Ezra Jane. We all talked about her feelings a lot. It's just, it's a mood, you know, feeling shit, talking about it, expanding, figuring out how to weave more magic into our lives in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Like last night I did my first drawing down the moon ritual with uh, Nick Dickinson of the Cauldron Black. If you don't follow them on Instagram, you should. So that's Urban Wizard or the Cauldron Black. They're in Salem, Massachusetts. And it was really, really fucking awesome. It's lovely to be in community with other people who are working witchcraft together. We both first learned about... His name's Nick Dickinson. I had been following him before the episode... Uh, that he did with Amanda Yates Garcia because I saw that he uh, presented at the Witches Confluence when we were looking at potentially doing something with them, which, ah, we didn't get accepted. That's fine. There's other years, but he had presented with them. So I was like, oh, who's this person? And then recently he dropped that episode on Between the Worlds, which was really good. So check that one out if you haven't. probably my favorite episode of Between the Worlds. And I don't know if that's because I'm all aglow after us having a chat with Amanda Yates Garcia. Right. We have not been public about that yet. <laughs> but I know. We, we did interview Amanda Yates Garcia, who is the author of Initiated Memoir of a Witch and the host of the Between the Worlds podcast and someone that we mention really, really regularly on this podcast. So, I mean, for those listening, that's just, you know, a sneak peek at what's to come in the next few episodes. But... We've, I don't know, been thinking about 
magic in a pretty holistic way, which I mean, I think that in general we do, you know, we're, both of us are practitioners of the intersection of magic and mental health. Um, we're all about the holistic practice, but also it's just been different in how it's interacted in our lives this year. Like I've noticed, you know, you've had a lot of, mm, herbal witchcraft come up. Yeah. Um, our permaculture episode really inspired me and I've been learning a lot about that. I made you a little bundle of herbs from the garden (laughs) at my house. It's lovely. It smells so good. It does. I didn't know curry was a plant. Me neither. So we're learning. (laughs) Yeah. It smells so good. I don't know. I was just thinking today about how I feel like I haven't really, you know, with like quotes around it, really practiced. And I've said this on the podcast multiple times. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm like out of practice. No, I'm living my life. Like I just moved. I'm settling into a new home environment. I'm living in community for the first time in a really long time. And it's the end of summer. You know, I'm about to have my birthday. There's a lot of stuff going on. And also, you know, managing like businesses and things. A lot of that is magic too. And it's not like just because, you know, we're not cracking open books all the time. It doesn't mean we're not learning anything or expanding. It means we're expanding our actual integration, I think. So, you know, the fact that I woke up this morning and I like tidied my space, cleansed it very literally, burnt some incense, lit a candle. I was about to say I turned on a candle because I have no brain power left. (laughs) Um, And like made this space smell good. You know, that was some magical care. I watered my plants. That's also magical care. Like it can be really practical. I think there are seasons of our life where the most magical work we can be doing is noticing how everything we do is magic. Mm -hmm. And that's what I hear you saying is being able to enchant your life and enchant the things you do and integrate magic into everything, including chores, including relationships, because magic is evident everywhere. And I know I've already said this Damian Nichols quote, but everyone is a magician. The only difference between you and them is that you notice that you're a magician. I don't think that's the direct quote, but that's what he meant. And also there's other seasons where, you know, one might want to be more ritualistic. That's where I'm at. I'm very into ritual magic right now. And that brings us to this topic, which is Mm -hmm. sea witchcraft. And I've engaged in that a lot since the beginning of COVID for sure, but more concentrated since we started the podcast. Yeah. And I think, you know, kind of why I wanted to open the topic with the concept of holistic witchcraft is the way that you've incorporated the sea into your work is really holistic. Like you have built so much of your life around that particular practice and so much of your practice is just an extension of your natural life. You know, they're, they're feeding each other and what we've talked about in terms of water and its magical element and its healing element, you know, you've been a current in my life 
for the concept of water witchcraft. And we've, you know, in private talked a lot about those things, but I want to know where you'd like to start because immediately I think of like eight different plot points. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot I could reflect there. Let's maybe give a basic definition of sea witching or sea witchery. And I have with me a book that we got from Wiser Books. They send us really nice witchcraft books all the time. And I think the name of the author is Anwen Avalon. So it's Water Witchcraft, Magic and Lore from the Celtic Tradition. There are different kinds of water magic. There is water magic that's unique to lakes and streams. And there's water magic that's related to just having bowls of water in your home. You know, tap water can be used magically. Sea witchcraft is particular to the ocean. So here's a little um, excerpt from water witchcraft. Sea witches have delighted the mind of many for hundreds of years. Their mythology and folklore are vast. Many tales have been told about the sea witches and many more about ghostly women wandering the shores. I like this little intro because it reminds us that the sea has been used magically for a really, really long time. I think a basic definition of sea witchcraft would be any magical practitioner, any witch that is using the ocean for its symbolism, for its materials, so using seashells, seawater, sand, co-regulating with it, so which is a lot of what I do, so experiencing the ocean, bathing in the ocean, communing with the ocean, spending time with it and relating to it. Using the tides, I also do a lot of tidal witchcraft, which we'll get into, for manifestation work, for banishing work, for emotional work. The sea has been really helpful for me. And then something else we'll touch on is how the sea is just really, really good for your emotional body and for your spiritual body. So a witch that is of the sea is just of the sea. She spends time interacting with the sea. I'd like to also at the top of the episode, kick us off with just a little note about the element of water, since we're going to be talking about that so much. Um, So this comes from the book Celtic Magic by DJ Conway. And it says, the element of water governs the western quarter of the circle. Its ruler is Nixa, who oversees the nymphs, undines, merpeople, and the little ones of the springs, lakes, ponds, and rivers. Its color is pure blue. It is cold and moist. The positive associations of water are sunset, fall, the chalice and cauldron, any form of helpful water, compassion, peacefulness, forgiveness, love, intuition. Negative associations are floods, rainstorms, whirlpools, any kind of harmful water, laziness, indifference, instability, lack of emotional control, and insecurity. I think that the negative associations, which is kind of a, I I think a little bit of an odd term for that because, you know, these are part of life, like floods happen, rainstorms happen, and the universe is neutral. But I think it's interesting to bring those associations up just because water is all about the emotion. And also what we're going to be talking about a lot in this episode is how working with water scientifically interacts with mental health and emotion. All of water's associations 
from the mystical to the practical mental health, you know, all of these things are really meaningful in both of our lives and also our work, not only as mental health professionals, but witches. So I know that you are particularly drawn to the ocean and I mean water in general, but definitely the ocean. Do you want to talk about your magical, mystical feelings about the sea? Yeah, <laughs> I really do. <laughs> I love I love to talk about the sea. I love its symbolism. I love how it mirrors the unconscious mind. It has all of this movement. It's constantly shifting. It's always changing, but it's always the same, which is such a wonderful representation of the human mind or the human psyche. It's also full of creatures that we can't always see, but sometimes rise up out and show themselves to us, which feels like feelings to me. I mean, it's beautiful. And there are studies that show that the color blue is calming. There are studies that show that the negative ions coming off of the sea are like good for depression and anxiety. When we touch the sand, it stimulates our most primal nervous system-based centers, like the base of the brain where all old trauma is stored and our autonomic responses, it stimulates that part of the brain and calms it down. Just even looking at it, it's so vast. Like you feel so small against it. So then I find that my problems feel very small against this really vast, powerful entity like on the coast of Washington the water looks different it's like really really powerful on the peninsula it's calmer but that also is an allegory for emotion right and it's not like you feel like your problems are small in a way that minimizes them it's more like you feel like your problems are small in a way that helps you feel like oh I can handle it right it's the scale yeah like looking at the Grand Canyon or looking at a really immense redwood tree or it reminds me of your Carl Sagan quote about the universe or just even the idea that we're so small in this big, vast environment. There's something about that that's really grounding. And I don't know the science of that. I don't know why it's so calming. Well, and if we even are just looking at the environment, like you said, you know, touching the sand, being in the water, the ions and everything... The sea is full of salt, which we know as witches and we know as basic bitches (laughs) that salt is purifying. Yes, exactly. So there are so many different aspects to the sea that are renewing. I mean, you could literally bathe in it, right? Assuming that humans have taken care of the planet whatsoever and it's not toxic water. Um. There is so much symbology there. And I think that something that's really beautiful about your magical practice, something I admire about it and try to emulate because of how much I admire about this in you. Wow, that sentence was a mess. Um, (laughs) Is your care when it comes to symbology, the way that you read into metaphor in a really beautiful way. I feel like when folks say like read into, often there's this implication that it's like, you know, you're making shit up, but I don't think that that's the case at all. I think that the way that you read between the lines in magical ways of thought 
is so much of what magic is about. It and so I don't know. Your relationship to the ocean inspires me to invest more in the things that spark that feeling of being vibrantly human. Oh, thank you, love. Yeah, thank you. I feel the same way about you and trees, right? I mean, we um, we somewhat embody our astrological signs, although I think that the way that I am drawn to water says more about how much fire in my have, I have on my chart. It's like a lot. <laughs> Got to cool the fuck off. Yeah, I'm so hot all the time. <laughs> so hot. The sea also just has this really folkloric, mythological presence. People have been looking at the sea and dreaming for as long as there have been people. Both of us have heritage, you know, with the Celts. And Druids did not worship in structures. They worshiped by the sea or they worshiped in the forest. When I take a pilgrimage to the ocean, that's what it is. It's a pilgrimage. Like, I feel like I am going to church. I always find something there, be it a shell or an emotion or an animal. I've gotten really good at seal spotting, (laughs) really good at it. I know when to find them and I know where they hang out. And so that's been going really good. (laughs) Um, And I love its associations to, to Hecate, really. I mean, the goddess of the heavens and the earth and the sea then that corresponds to the moon. So there's just, yeah, really lovely correspondences. Before we were recording, I was reflecting to Callie that I'm noticing that a big part of the way that I am a witch is by correspondences, is working with them constantly. I'm always looking at correspondences. And that's really rewarding to me. And the sea has correspondences that feel really connected to mental health. The moon has wonderful symbology for personal change and for the movement of emotion. And then that corresponds to tarot and the suit of cups, the queen of cups, the queen of the sea, the queen of emotion. It's all really, really lovely. It is. I think that a lot of my feelings around being in wild water, I feel like I'm being mothered, you know, like I'm in the waters of the womb of the earth and I've been like a water baby my whole life. Once I do get into open water, um, if I'm able to convince myself to do it, (laughs) I want to be there for as long as possible unless I'm burning in the sun because (sighs) I'm not a creature of the sun. I am not a fire sign. (laughs) No. I mean, I'm not a creature of the sun either. I fucking hate it. And that's because I think I'm too much of a fire sign. But I mean, (laughs) you can make sense of astrology all sorts of ways. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Yeah. The ocean is a soothing, magical place. And it's also, you know, the source of so much folklore, which, I mean, whether folklore is based on fact or imaginative observation, those are, whatever, they're both real. Right. I mean, look into the work of Joseph Campbell or Bruno Bettelheim, God, what are some other folklorists that link to psychology? I mean, Carl Jung. All these men. I know, all these men. I just, I'm realizing that as I, as I speak it. I'm trying to think of women I know that are really connected. Well, I mean, the author that I'm reading from today, Anna Wynne Avalon, is a sea witch. And yeah, when we, when we look at theory, it is mostly men because they are the ones who published theory, especially way back when, right? 
Which, I mean, it's noteworthy to say that in many places, women aren't allowed to attend school. Uh, There are people on planet Earth right now who are suffering, you know, having their government overtaken and having their rights to education and access to things like the ability to work taken away. That has been true many times in history and it's sadly true right now in Afghanistan and um, I don't know I feel like it's important to mention that and it's important to mention that the oppression of anyone who isn't a white cis dude has been rampant since Brits left Britain you know mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and and I mean before then too but the reason that we don't have women to cite so often is not because there weren't wise women. It's because a lot of them were killed in the witch hunts. Right. Or silenced or not given opportunity, what have you. So yeah, I mean, that is a bit of it. And also I feel a need and a due diligence to find other women. When it comes to certain archetypes that are associated with the ocean, there, there is when I find women, right? That's where I find Hecate. That's where I find Aphrodite. That's where I even find Medea from great Greek tragedies. And that's where I find Circe, who I have started working with lately. And she's really powerful. More on that in another time. So, I mean, I think that the feminine power of the ocean is, I mean, something to mention. It, it's not a gendered, you know, identity. The ocean has this tremendous fertile symbolism. It gives and it feeds and it nourishes and it also will fucking kill you. <laughs> it will kill you. It is yeah. so much more powerful than any of us. And I find that humbling. Yeah, the ocean is humbling, Yeah. right? And it's more tangible than space because as much as we are literally in space sitting here in my apartment on the floor, um, we can't feel space. We can feel the ocean and we can go in a boat and look into the depths and see how unknowable it is and that it just feels more tangible. And yeah, I like that you know that, you know, the ocean isn't gendered, but also (laughs) gender, (laughs) I jokingly slash seriously, I don't know which one entirely, say like gender isn't real. Like gender is what you make of it, you know? And that's that statement certainly comes with lots of privilege. Um, and especially in magic, nothing is about the genitals. Nothing is about, you know, restricting your expression, the ocean is receptive and it's reflective. And like you said, it's fertile. It's a space of nurturance and ferocity. Right. The ocean doesn't care if you're wearing a dress. It doesn't really care. Although wearing a dress in the ocean is very nice and I highly recommend it. Makes for a great photo shoot. It really does. <laughs> I uh, I told this story to Callie, but I don't know. Did I tell the story on the podcast where I was doing some water witchcraft and this older woman came up to me and was like, that was the most beautiful thing I've seen in a long time. And she had this like really, uh, she had this really big reaction to it. It was so sweet. She's like, you look so beautiful out there in your dress. I was like, thank you. <laughs> you know, and it was at Alki Beach, which I usually would not do any water or sea magic 
in that public of a place, but that's how anxious and depressed I felt that day. What is that? I was like, any ocean will do. And I just like <laughs> found it. And there's like, you know, vacationers and teenagers making out under the pier and little kids running around. I was like, fuck all of you. I'm getting in the ocean in my clothes. But yeah. anyway, that was a nice moment. <laughs> you know, and and I and that woman intuitively knew what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And people know what you're doing. When I stand in the ocean and and well, what do I do when I stand in the ocean? I talk to the goddess. I think I uh, process my feelings. I notice the environment. I notice my body. I cry. I do all sorts of things when I'm out in the ocean. Whenever someone sees me, I think they know exactly what the fuck I'm doing out there (laughs) because we all know that the sea is really magical. There's a reason humans are so drawn to it. And I love that, you know, as you're like, I go out there, I talk to the ocean, I talk to the goddess, I feel things. I mean, you basically just... In, in very loose terms, outlined a spell. Yes. Uh, and for those interested in water witchcraft, our bonus content for this episode, which will be available on Patreon, is going to be all about water spells. So spells you can do in the water, about the water, on the water, put some water in your mouth, do a spell. I don't know. We're going to have a spell guide as our bonus content along with over 40 pieces of bonus content and you get all of that for $6 a month. Yeah. It's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. And also I would love it as a birthday gift because my birthday's in a week. Callie's going to be 31. 32. 32. It's okay. It's close. It's close. It doesn't even like once you hit 30, the next one that matters is like 40. So it's true. Things really stop mattering after 30. (laughs) So I am water. So anyway, about the sea. (laughs) (laughs) I am so excited to hear, I I mean, to talk about the things that I researched in terms of, you know, how water affects our mental wellness. I'm also excited to hear what you have to say about that because you've studied it and like got a master's in studying shit like that. I have a master's in the sea. (laughs) I mean, you do, though. (laughs) So one of the things that I was preparing for in this episode is one of my favorite reparenting tools, which is going in water. I couldn't find the study that I wanted to cite, but I know I read it somewhere (laughs) that... Being in water has an especially profound effect on those with complex PTSD because it simulates the sensation of being in utero. And so those who had a traumatic time in utero often have a really negative association with water, um, whether that is like drinking it, being in it, feeling water. Um, those who maybe had a safer life in utero and then a more traumatic earthside life often have a really calm response in water. And I feel that that's true. I feel like you must have that feeling because you love it so much. Yes. So I do have things to say about this. So in terms of is there a connection between uh, a hard established connection between a stressful in utero environment and then love of the water? Kind of yes and no. So it's a little bit impossible to know because we can't interview a fetus. So we can't get like qualitative data from a fetus. But we do know about the fetal impact of maternal stress. Mm -hmm. 
And we do know about how the fetal impact of maternal stress influences a child's development. And also that gets tricky because maternal stress could be contributed to factors outside of the womb, such as domestic violence or drug abuse or poverty. Poverty being the thing that is most disastrous to a child's health, P.S. Um, Those could also be what is stressing the child out and creating trauma, right? So it's hard to isolate the womb environment from the environment outside of the womb. It's a, it's a hypothesis and a theory that's a little hard to prove, but makes sense. So there is a lot of connection between why traumatized bodies like the environment, they feel more regulated. So when you are in a traumatized body, rather it be from in utero exposure to stress or from adverse childhood experiences in life, you have a very reactive nervous system it will respond by either getting very anxious. That's your fight response. Most people know fight, flight, freeze. Fawn is another one people sometimes don't know. Or you can fall into a collapse response, which is your freeze or your flight either way. Traumatized nervous systems are very, very reactive. They have taken damage from chronic stress in childhood. So in adulthood, they misfire. They read danger where there is no danger all the time. And the environment of cities and interpersonal relationships and the workplace and the bus, like other people's nervous systems are very stressful to them Mm -hmm. because they can attune so easily and become so caught off guard. Whenever someone says they're an empath, I'm like, oh, that's a traumatized nervous system. One of the first things I learned about myself in my first round of therapy in my very early 20s was that, as, and you've mentioned this too, I am really good at assessing other people's feelings because I had to as a survival technique and mechanism in early childhood. I promise I'm getting to the sea. So, so think, about that kind of, <laughs> think about that kind of body, right? Like really reactive. And then you put that body in a natural environment that has a cyclical, almost like nervous system heartbeat sound to it, has white noise, which we know is really calming. A lot of um, people, period, listen to white noise when they're sleeping. It's relaxing. Then you have the negative ions of the water. You have the sensory regulating environment of the sand, Um, although some people are very dysregulated by sand. Like sensory needs are so individual, right? Mm -hmm. So for the people that are regulated, they're getting this like fully immersive sensory seeking experience. And then if you're like me and you enjoy the pain of cold water immersion, you're really, really getting it. Same with, um, this is a funny parallel, but circus arts. So a lot of traumatized bodies like circus because it fucking hurts or like tattoos tattoos because they fucking hurt, right? Like we're really looking for sensory information. Other, again, other traumatized bodies might be sensory avoidant and really not like the beach. So it's it's very, very uh, individual. So that's kind of a somatic layer, but there's so many other layers. If you're using witchcraft, you're using symbolism with the sea. For instance, tides. Low tide is for banishing. High tide or, or rising tide is for manifestation. That's like nice for your mental health too, because it's concretization. When I go out to the sea 
And I use this really embodied action, like I'll um, I'll pretend that I'm kind of opening up my body and taking out things that I don't really want to hold on to anymore. Other people's feelings, experiences, fears, blah, blah. And I'm giving them over to the ocean. Like we've said in other podcasts, my body believes that I'm doing this. And so then my brain believes that I'm doing this. That concretization piece is really, really important and is fundamental to why witchcraft is so good for your mental health is because when you do something physical that mirrors an emotional process, it is then an embodied process. I hold this rock or this shell if I'm on the beach, and this represents um, all of my softness that I really want to hold on to. I've become so hard in my work, maybe. Maybe that's your goal. And you're holding that close to you. You're now having an embodied connection with that shell. So as a process, it's good for your mental health because it facilitates ritual and it facilitates meaning and it facilitates change. But then there's also this body-based regulating effect that the sea has. So I think the combination of those things can be really impactful. I know they're impactful because I felt them. So what do you think about all that? <laughs> I mean, I I love all of that. It reflects so much on topics that we touch on really regularly here, which are like trust your experience, you know, validate your own experience. If you need validation from others, that's okay. And also practice validating yourself. I think the ocean is a great place to do that. We talked a little bit about how cold water affects the nervous system, but then we could just kind of mention it in passing. And it's such an amazingly powerful tool, one of the only things that can help with polyvagal tone. And you just know so much more about polyvagal magic and health than I do. I would love to, you know, introduce those who've never heard of the polyvagus nerve mm-hmm. to what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. So this is all polyvagal theory, which needs continued research, but that's true about any theory. So let's just say that right there. It's it's pretty good. It's pretty established. It's a little newer, so some people haven't heard about this. But your ventral vagal nervous system is part of your autonomic nervous system, which is responsible for your parasympathetic, which is your resting part, very basically, or your sympathetic, which is your like alert and action part. And then the ventral vagal system is your social interaction and your pro-social engagement part. It's the part of you that has mirror neurons and can co-regulate. In other words, your nervous system can calm down by being next to another calm nervous system. Your nervous system can also become really, really upset by being next to someone else who is upset. So this is a uniquely mammal condition that we are constantly responding to our environment. We're responding to the rooms that we're sitting in or the position we're sitting in or what we ate today. That's all having an impact on our emotion. And with polyvagal theory, it's, it's, there's a few foundational tenets. We're going to do a whole episode, but very, very basically, it's responsible for your flight response. You're shutting down. It's like called, I think it's called polyvagal collapse. Like it's a real physiological thing that happens to people when they're in depression or dissociation or just like overly emotional and their system can't handle it and it collapses. Um, so that that's what it means to have low vagal tone. You have low distress tolerance, basically. So a small stressor will collapse your nervous system in one direction or the other. Or it will take you into fight mode, which is anxious, 
uh, irritable, angry, explosive, all sorts of reactions can happen over there. Or even just like busy and like staying on top of it and being super codependent. That's one of mine. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's this other part that is is about social connection. And when we're able to engage that part, like right now your face and my face are facing each other and we're looking at each other and like making all this loving eye contact, that is calming to these other two systems, which get very dysregulated. So when you have a traumatized person, the more pro-social activity they can get, the more mirroring and validating it's part of why therapy is really helpful for survivors is because that part of their nervous system has low tone. It's not as present as the other ones, which are, I don't know if it's called high tone because I'm not a scientist. I'm just really integrating this into my therapy practice. Fucking swole? Is that the term you're looking for? Basically... <laughs> These two parts, you get fucking swole. Your shutdown part, like, ugh, wipe out. Do you even lift an anxiety disorder, bro? And that's the hypervigilance part. Like, do you, do you fucking lift, bro? Are you even anxious enough? You should be more anxious. Everything's scary, right? And then there's like the peaceful, like, hey, I love yoga and I want to know you. And that's like the other part that's of your. literally exactly the character I pictured <laughs> as you said it. I was picturing Yoga Jones yeah. from Orange is the New Black. Exactly. Yes. That's how you understand the polyvagal theory <laughs> is two gym rats, one who gets shut down and upset, one who's just trying to lift more than you, and then a really sweet uh, wellness coach who's coming in for yoga. Yeah. And she's like, <laughs> it kind of looks like maybe your posture is to look good, but let's do this so it is good for you. Yes. You know, to kind of loop it back to the ocean. So again, I think I invited listeners prior to like, imagine that kind of body. Imagine a really scared kid who is just shut in and feels really boxed in. Now imagine taking that kid to the beach where you can play and you can express yourself and you can build things and you can play in the tides and it's changing and it's dynamic and it's alive and it's interacting with you. That's so good for us. Like I really feel like that part of my nervous system is really alive. And by that part, let me be specific, the part that engages, that pro-social part. I know the C doesn't technically have a face, but I really feel like it um, it mirrors back. It seems to. And also our bodies are mostly water. I feel like we should probably mention that, that we're made of this stuff. And so it kind of does feel like coming home when we come to the ocean. That's a lot of psychology stuff and also somatic psychotherapy stuff. I would love to close up with how does one become a sea witch? <laughs> oh, just a simple end note um, <laughs> on how to like bargain with Ursula for your legs. Um, how doesn't one become a sea witch? I mean, touche, cousin. <laughs> As the lesser seasoned sea Brian <laughs> Undine in the room, um, I'll go first because you'll have a better answer. <laughs> okay. Go to the ocean or your local body of natural water in general. You know, maybe it's not the sea. Maybe it's the lake. I personally feel that Lake Tahoe is one of the most magical bodies of water in my world. Go to some water. Put any part of your body in the water. If you could put your whole body in the water, do it. Why not? You can do it. You've done harder things than being cold water. And then just feel it. Just feel the water. Just feel you. 
and notice how, you know, like I said earlier, how vibrantly human you feel. When I am in the water, I'm so aware of the fact that I have to breathe when I'm swimming in wild water. And I'm never more aware of that fact than when I'm in water. And what a nice thing to be focused on in a world where I worry about things like the algorithm, you know? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's a lovely answer. I feel exactly the same way. And what you said to me is go relate to the ocean. If you have that opportunity, if you live near the sea or in proximity to the sea in any way, I would really encourage you to find a spot that's quiet if you can. I have had the most magical experiences in places that are least populated, which is hard in this world. But if you have that access, take it. If you don't, bring a tent, right? And like make yourself a little make yourself a little area. Like when I do my pilgrimages to the sea, I usually am there for at least three hours. I often will stay all day. The last time I did a sea pilgrimage. I stayed 12 hours and I pee on the beach or in the ocean or whatever. I bring a lot of food and a lot of water. I build the beach fort if it's sunny. I make myself a really comfortable nest and I just see what happens. I read, I journal, I do my tarot um, and I just follow my body's instincts. Don't stay longer. You don't need to stay 12 fucking hours like I do. I wanted to be there. If you don't want to be there, go. The sea does not need you to have a contentious relationship with it. And similarly, If that idea sounds beautiful to you and you're worried that, oh, but I didn't think of it on my own, fuck that. You don't have to police yourself. You get to hear a good idea and think, oh, the ocean is for me too. Exactly. If you've been listening to our episodes lately, we have talked about magical currents many times. So if you feel resonance with what we're talking about, that's part of witchcraft. That's called a current. It is coming through you. It wants to be felt by you. Our earth is dying. We need more witches. Please stop doubting yourself and just go hang out by the fucking ocean if that's what you need to do to feel in alignment and and with your magic. Please do that. I think other things you can do if you don't live near the ocean is you can research it. You can learn about its folklore. You can use images of the sea when you are doing active imagination work. You can still use the energy of the sea if you're not by the sea. Although, I mean, I'm not going to fucking lie. It's nice to be by the sea. And it Mm -hmm. is way more powerful than, you know, or well, it's powerful in a different way than imagining it. However, imagining the sea is really nice. Like when I go through difficult moments, I am a sulky and I am at the bottom of the ocean. When I'm getting tattooed, I do active imagination work with the sea. So you can really use it that way. You can have a bowl of salt water on your altar and you can collect seashells from the beach and you can use those on your altar and look up their symbolism. There's just so many ways to do it. My favorite thing to do if I'm not in the water at the beach, is to look for hagstones. If you are not familiar with hagstones, they are stones which have a naturally, organically worn hole through them. So you can see through them. And sometimes the holes are pretty hidden. And so it's very difficult to find these stones. It took me a year of looking every single time I went to the beach to find my first one. And it was like, I flipped a switch. I find them constantly. You now. got really good at it. It took finding one, you know, yeah. and then, 
and then you recognize what to do. And it is that way with, with any new thing, you know, you try and you try and you try and then it clicks and you get it. And magic is, I think as much an inherent ability as it is a skill. Like we're all magical. We're all completely capable of being in tune. And also there are things that we have to learn by simply just doing the damn thing. Absolutely. And, you know, the ocean is, I think, also in part a venue for magic. That's what it is. And again, that concretization piece, like I feel like a real live witch when I'm standing (laughs) in the water and I'm fucking chanting the prayer of the goddess. I feel like a bona fide witch. And if I need to do that performance to embody that part of myself, cool. There's no problem with the performance of it. The performance of it is an act of concretization, which brings you into an alignment, which is really important. It is embodying your values and your desires, and it's artistic. And how cool for some rando in like a Westphalia jacket to walk by and be like, is that some fat bitch out there doing witchcraft? Yeah, no, that is. <laughs> you know, I've had so many people like walk by, um, even in remote areas, and be like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that man who came up to us at the waterfall and oh, was God. like, is this some kind of religious ceremony? <laughs> and you were like, kind of. <laughs> and I literally turned my entire body away because I just didn't want to talk to him. Callie will not suffer fools. I will. I will talk to anyone, but Callie's like, no, you can't breathe my air. Leave me alone. I mean, <laughs> it's it's not like I mean. I just I disappear. Yeah, it's a great I coping bl- technique. Blend this earth <laughs> sign has camouflage. It's true. Know? It's true. It's true. Well, to close us out. I would love to remind you that we will be going over some magical practices that you can do from anywhere in the world, whether you're in a landlocked state or anywhere else. Um, And that's going to be on Patreon at the witch tier and above, where you will also get access to every single piece of bonus content we've ever made. And hey, if you get an annual subscription, you actually get a good discount. Um, and one last thing before we head out this week, I just wanted to say if that note about how oppressed women have been and how horrifically oppressed we're seeing our community members in Afghanistan be oppressed right now, if that touched you, um, please go to support.womenforwomen.org where you can learn about how you can positively impact the world right now because witchcraft is not just intention it is also practical action so please do some magic with every resource you have including your dollars and your time witchcraft is activism also and activism is witchcraft yeah (laughs) well brooms up and we will see you next week yeah